0: And I'm a big believer in the fact that you can help people grow, absolutely. But I'm also a big believer in talent. I mean, mm-hmm. I do think that uh, Roger Federer uh, is at a level that would be hard for me to achieve, even if I go back to <laughs> 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 He's got something that I don't have, that dates back from uh, his birth. And uh, for that... I think it's the same thing. Some people are much better than others at assessing talent. My track record shows that I'm fortunate to be on the better side, that I've been able to pick the the right people. um, But it's interesting because at uh, T.D. Piper, when I tried to hire in marketing, for example, I had less experience in uh, B2B marketing. I just never had done it before. So in spite of my self-professed talent, I struggled to find the right people.
1: Hey, it's Matt, and this is Pass the Secret Sauce. Nicholas Vandenberg is the co-founder and CEO of Chili Pepper and Gypsy Time. Nicholas began his career selling newspapers in the streets of Paris in high school, studied math at Echo Polytechnique, and then received his MBA from Stanford, GSB. He started and sold three tech companies with up to 65 employees and $11 in revenue, and he also ran sales for a $2 billion telecom firm negotiating billion-dollar deals with companies like Google. Most recently, in 2016, he co-founded his fourth startup and presently is the CEO of Chili Pepper, a pioneer in buyer enablement.
0: I was the youngest of a family of five kids, and I have uh, bad memories of the dinner table, to be honest. A lot of people praise their parents and so on me, personally, I felt that often TV was on, which I, uh, has given me an aversion about TV. There's no TV in my room, my house. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are screens, but no TV. And I did not find that we had this family time that it could be. So it's been a big focus of mine, not that I kids to make dinner or celebration. We get together as family time. We were we really cheers. My little daughter, she also said, Daddy, why do we always have to do cheers? And you know, I think, you know, uh, some people in religion they thank the Lord. Uh, this is not my case, so I think we're going to start by uh, being uh, grateful that uh, we're together in this dinner.
1: That's great. So, yeah. So you do that at every every meal. You do. Every, you me- every that's, meal. That's fantastic. I that's love it. Right.
0: We, we acknowledge, and we don't. We all start together. We acknowledge the the beginning, the start of the nice family time together.
1: I love it. I love it. That's great. I've, I haven't heard anybody with that uh, that response before. So no, I, I love it. So, when you were growing up, would you say that you were exposed to entrepreneurialism? Did you have companies that you started, or I don't even want to call it companies, but were you the kid that started the lemonade stand or selling candy or anything like that? That you know, as you were growing up,
0: I wasn't. I grew up in Marseille, in the south of France, and I think if I had put a lemonade stand out in the street, people would have shot me. I don't know; <laughs> <laughs> it's just not something people did. So I, I had no clue about entrepreneurship. Marseille is a, not a town where there's a lot of tech. It's a port with a lot of more traditional industries. Um, I didn't even know it existed, but I did have the sense of adventure. Mm-hmm. And so if you, if you, you, you could call it non-business entrepreneurship. So for example, when I was 13, I decided that for the summer vacation, I'd go hitchhiking around the, uh-huh. the coast and play tennis tournaments. So with my brother, <laughs> we picked up a tent uh, or rackets, a bunch of clothes, and and we left and we went from town to town. Then the following year, I was old enough to have a little motorbike, tiny little motorbike. And I did the same thing around an island called Corsica. So I went off for of three or four weeks, and we went on. So I had it in me that I wanted to do things differently, you know? I wanted to try things people haven't tried. I wanted to explore. But that didn't turn into business reality uh, until much later. So Mm -hmm. I actually went to a school, Ecole Polytechnique in France, where you study math and science. So not at all, driven Mm -hmm. towards leadership. And quite the opposite, actually. I remember when I graduated from Ecole Polytechnic, somebody said, uh, It would be crazy to start your company now that you've done Ecole Polytechnique because the career path open to you is so attractive that it makes no sense for you to take a mm-hmm. risk like that. I didn't know better anyway, so I just continued my path. And what happened is that the in the mid-90s, I decided that I wanted to travel. So, obviously, I love traveling, and um, and I thought, uh, but I don't want just to travel for vacation. I want to move to other countries. And I figured the best way to do it is to go to do an MBA in the U.S., because that would be my first move to a super interesting country. And then with that MBA, I'll have an international passport, so to speak, to go and get jobs in other places. And my next place was going to be Hong Kong. I just wanted to go to Hong Kong. So I implemented the plan. Uh, I tried hard. I actually applied three times to Stanford Business School. And the third time, they finally accepted me. So I went there. And with the plan to have two years of fun and then go to Hong Kong. And then a few weeks into it, my classmate, Steve Jefferson, who's now a famous venture capitalist, invited Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs came to talk to the class. And at the time, he was running a company called Next.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: And the joke was that he was... Taking in next to nowhere. Okay. Yeah. It was just not happening. Uh, but yeah. And that was
1: that was after he was removed from Apple too, right? That's that correct. Was, that was yeah.
0: after he was removed from Apple, so he, yep. it was kind of his revenge. He was he was going to do the, an Apple killer.
1: Yeah.
0: And that was going to be that was called Next. And uh, it, by the it, so it was 90, late ninety three. And he was completely struggling with that next company so he sat on the floor he started talking uh, about how hard it was uh, all the journalists kept going after bad news and, and yet it was so inspirational i looked at him and say that's what i want to be when i grow up mm-hmm. you know i want to be an entrepreneur i want to be this guy who just creates something because he thinks it's the right thing to do and and go and build it and make it happen so that day, I changed my plans and said, there's no Hong Kong anymore. And to these days, I've never been to Hong Kong. <laughs> I mean, I've been to like 55 countries, but never to Hong Kong. I stayed in the Bay Area and I started a company. And as fate would have it, my partner in my first company, it's just a complete coincidence, was John Scully, the person who had fired Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was interesting because when I talked to John, he told me all the stories we had heard, uh, you know, were true. That Steve Jobs had told him, are you going to continue selling uh, sh- sugar uh, water? or Are you going to change the world with me? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the battles and things. Um, so I started that first company and and then I've been doing uh, uh, tech companies ever since.
1: And, and how many tech companies have you done now? So this is
0: my, this is my fourth and fifth, because we're going to discuss, I have two yeah. running right now. So I've done three before. Uh, and this is my fourth and fifth. Um, I did one immediately in the nineties, then one immediately after, then one in the early two thousands. Then I thought um, that so the a successful a couple of successful exits, and, and then I thought, okay, well, when entrepreneurs grow up, they become venture capitalists. So I thought I'd become a venture capitalist, and mm-hmm. I tried. I tried it for a couple of years, and I got super bored. So I said, that's no, not for me. So you're, uh, you're a maker exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just it's just tempting to go and do it so i took a break and did some other things and then say okay now it's back to building businesses
1: mm-hmm. and that must have really been an inspirational meeting session with steve jobs i mean he really transformed your entire path you know with that one meeting that's fantastic well,
0: yeah if you if you uh, watch videos of steve it does have this transformative power there's one big quote that I, I played up once a year. I go to that video and I play it and, and it is saying, you know, I realized something in, in my life that you guys should all know. When you look around all these things that you see, they were all created by human beings just like you, no smarter than you. Mm-hmm. So if you think of it that way, you can realize you can just do the same. You can create your own things and bring your own print to life. And that seems, you know, it, it's a very powerful statement and it does have this ability to inspire us to do things differently. So when you met him in person, you it's even stronger, obviously. So yes, that had a uh, strong influence.
1: I love it. I love it. So talk about some of the struggles that you had with the first company that you started and then were, did you have similar struggles with the next companies or did you kind of learn from, you know, the first times when you did it?
0: No, it's a bit like the quote from Tolstoy, right? Uh, Every unhappy family is unhappy, you know, it's one way. So uh, the struggle is always different uh, from one to the other. The first company actually set my expectations incorrectly because things went quite well. Mm -hmm. It's been reasonably easy. Scully was on board, therefore I had funding. It was quite easy to get funding when you have John Scully with you. We built a product. It was uh, Photoshop for dummies at the time, in the mid-90s. So if you think of uh, Instagram before, phones existed. So Instagram and a PC. And we, of course, it was hard to build the product. And there, I remember times when I thought, it's, it's full of bugs. We're never going to get a product without bugs. It's important. Like it felt like it was not going to happen. But these were operational struggles. When we were ready with a product, I quickly found that we would deal with hardware vendors. We would bundle our software with their device. Okay. and that turned out to be a big market and they were very keen on doing it so the selling was easy they, my number one customer was epson the printer manufacturer mm-hmm. but i also had Compaq, hp lexmark canon all the top guys and when we do deals a deal would be typically half a million dollar we signed and then next thing we get royalties for half a million dollars so we did six million in revenue the first year wow. and i closed all the first uh, deals the second year, one day my controller called me and said, Have you, have we raised money? I said, No, we haven't raised money. Why, why do you say that? I said, we just received a wire from for $1.1 million. I said, Let me look at it. And uh, it was the royalties for one quarter oh, wow. for East Asia, Epson East Asia. They built this printer that sold like hotcakes. Every, at uh, the time it was uh, about a a million printer they'd sold 1.1 million printers <laughs> we had 1.1 million dollars and there was like this magic of the, of these oem deals so then we got an offer from a software company to buy us for 60 million dollars i was mm-hmm. you know i was two years in existence and scully said no he said mm-hmm. we can save it for more and at that time what happened is that so to answer your question there was not much of a struggle i mean yes mm-hmm. we had bugs and things but things went really easily so at that time i thought you know what? I'm a minority holder because with this, um, Scully, me, a couple of, a few other people in this company, I've done it once. I know how to do it. By now it's 1998 We're in San Francisco. Everybody around me is doing internet, mm-hmm. right? And, and me, I'm, I'm printing CDs to put in boxes to sell at Walmart. And I'm thinking it's a bit antiquated, you know, I, I need to move on. So I, I did a deal where I sold my shares. So basically, we didn't sell the company. I sold my shares. I took my money and I started a company, an internet company, and I decided to go after e-commerce, e-commerce enable, so B2B, just the opportunity I saw to commerce enable all these companies that were raising money. So then it started on fire. 13 months into it, I had 65 people. I had, I don't know, tons of customers. Uh, my, uh, I had some angel investors to put money with me. Uh, they said this is a joke. Uh, this is, this is put money in companies and then the money flows directly to us. <laughs>
2: you know, it's like
0: mm-hmm. a, because they would say, oh, we need commerce. Yes, we do commerce. Oh, we're going to buy your solution. So we ramped up super fast. And I thought, it's even easier than the first time. <laughs> 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 and then I got a call from a bold bunch of companies. Uh, something funny happened uh, the same day. Sometimes life is full of oddities. I got an email in the morning from Amazon saying, hey, we see that you uh, connect to our website, the merchant site. This infringes on our terms. You have to stop immediately. Mm-hmm. So season desist. In the afternoon, I get an email from Amazon Corporate Development. Hey, we love what you do. We'd like you to come to Seattle to talk to us. (laughs) So so basically what I was doing was aggregating e-commerce and it was really good, a good idea for the corporate development people, but less for the merchant side where Mm -hmm. we were. were, So I did fly to Seattle. I also drove down to Mountain View to meet Yahoo. Mm -hmm. I crossed the street in San Francisco to meet CNET. Everybody wanted to buy my company. Mm -hmm. Finally, CNET came through. They made an offer for 60 million. I said, yes, I had 72% of the company mm-hmm. and the deal didn't close. Mm. The dot bomb happened by mm-hmm. then, you know, it was 2001, uh, everything collapsed, they, the thing was not binding yet and everybody disappeared. So then mm-hmm. I had to lay off half the company on a single day. Wow. Yeah, so, uh, you know, each company's own struggle. So that was yeah. one of them. Single day of Friday, the funding had dried out. Uh, my, comp- my customers were going under one after the other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the and then finally I sold that company to Microsoft and Microsoft played it really well where they waited and waited as I could say I was like the price kept going down yeah, yep. waited. yeah. so that was super painful like we went from sixty five in the end we at the end when Microsoft finally bought the company, it was sixteen of us okay so that was a very really tough experience, but the struggle was at the end, you know usually you get the struggle at the beginning mm-hmm. uh, you, Mm-hmm. then next I did a biometrics company a bit later because somebody had invented the technology and that one I uh, said you know what this time I'm not going to miss the exit so we went from incorporation to exit in 13 months wow. it was a very strong technology my partner uh, was the inventor as soon as it worked I went to the Department of Homeland Security I said you've got this amazing technology the guy says who are you I said we're a startup okay well you should uh, talk to this big company he called the CEO he said you should talk to this startup the CEO got the message. Our technology was amazing. He made a deal. He said, look, we make a deal. You get a few million dollars. And then if we close the deal with DHS, then you get uh, twice mm-hmm. as much again. Mm-hmm. And uh, said, so let's do it. And that's what happened. We got the deal. And then we closed the deal with DHS. So the technology that my partner had invented is now used to process every passport and visa application. So, oh, wow. you, you know, when you go to the. It's I mean, good, of course, it has evolved. Yeah, yeah. When you come back from the border, um, you look at the camera and boom, it recognizes you. Yeah. Uh, that's our technology. Uh, that's that's our technology, with the, that's the more recent version, uh, the evolution of our, of our technologies that we did with uh, the company. So, that was super satisfying, right? System. And that's when I started to become VC.
2: Mm-hmm. And then I
0: did some other things. Also, with had a chip on my shoulder that I had not reached the level in tennis. You know, I mentioned I was in tennis that mm-hmm. I thought that was worth. So, at, at age uh, forty or something, I decided to go back uh, and play tennis. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> and improve my game. You know, but you know, it, yeah, it's it's funny. Some people say, "Oh, you work harder when you're young, and when you uh, when you get older, you have no money when you're young." You have no money, no time. And then anyway, so I, I did that. I took a whole bunch of time off to do different things. So then then when I started the new company that I'm currently doing, so I'm doing two companies and I explain why. But the, the first one is called Healy Piper. Uh, we know 42 people, but they didn't happen in one, one throw. I actually started another company earlier in the same space. So the idea, we help salespeople. I really wanted to do tech to help salespeople because I thought the you know, Salesforce is uh, mainly viewed by salespeople as as an impediment to their job, not a helper. Right. And so I thought, you know, the number one problem, I was running a sales team for a friend of mine and I couldn't get them to update Salesforce. So I thought, okay, I'm going to build an intelligent system that goes into their email contacts phone find the information and update Salesforce automatically. So I started a company to do that. And I was very excited. Uh, I built the solution. Then I found that a company in Israel had the same idea. Mm-hmm. And then a company in San Francisco had the same idea. And that company in San Francisco was a company called Relate IQ. And they thought it's so important to be, build this intelligent system to f- update the CRM that the CRM is commoditized. We're going to build our own CRM and go against Salesforce. Okay. And I thought that seemed crazy to me, right? Yeah. So I said, look, I understand it's a good thing to auto update, uh, auto capture, auto update, but the CRM is a beast. and, and it shouldn't have... But they sold their dream really, really well. They got money from Axel and Kleiner Perkins.
2: Virtus Technology is a custom business software solution provider. Are you tired of manual entry into an old system that creates more work than it helps? Does your company suffer from constant pain and frustration around its business processes? Do you spend a lot of time and money trying to hunt information down or figure out what is happening in your business? Virtus Technology can help solve all of this. We evaluate your current processes and then create custom software or mobile apps to automate and streamline your business process, eliminating a lot of those pains and frustrations. Unlike other systems, our goal is to digitize your current processes and systems so that your staff's learning curve is very small. If you're ready to take your business operations to the next level, give Vertus Technology a call today.
0: And they started uh, making a lot of noise. In the meantime, Salesforce decided to buy my Israeli competitor. Okay. So I thought there was trouble. Mm-hmm. And then Mark Benioff, the founder of Salesforce, uh, a few months later decided to buy RelateIQ, and say you know, so he's gobbling up everybody. Yeah. So then, then right. So except me. So yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like I felt like ugly chap on the dance floor. You know, <laughs> <laughs> was uh, left alone on his chair. And my angel investors told me, Nikolai, you have to give up. I mean, you cannot assume that Salesforce is going to screw up. Uh, for, they spent $400 million for ADQ mm-hmm. and $30 million for the other one. For $430 million worth of acquisition, uh, you're dead. So, you know, so that qualifies as a struggle. Yeah, just a bit, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for sure, it was very hard. Fortunately, at the time, uh, my wife, Alina, was doing a a brilliant career in product development. She was at Pearson, uh, running a big chunk of uh, product. And before that, she was at Bloomberg. Um, She was getting tired of the corporate life. She said, look, I I want you to start up. And I say, how about you come with me? We do it together. And you put your energy and we restart. Mm -hmm. We stay in the same space and we go after a different angle. Mm -hmm. And so we did that. We renamed the company Chili Pepper. It was January 2016. And we went after a completely different problem. The problem we go after at Chili Pepper is very simple. B2B companies spend a lot of money bringing traffic to their website. Mm-hmm. Then the call to action is contact us or request a demo. So a prospect fills a form. They click submit and they get a thank you page. Thank you. somebody's going to call you. And then mm-hmm. they left wondering well, who is going to call me and when. Mm-hmm. And in that process, companies typically lose 60% of their leads. Right. So, and and I have people tell me, oh, we convert super well. Oh yeah, what do you convert? We convert that 40%. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, so you mean to say that out of 60 people who were asked to meet you, you out of 100 people who asked to meet you, you you've lost 60 and you think it's great. Yeah. Uh, and the reason why I thought it's great, because it seems insane, is because they're called that process inbound and there's an outbound process. In the outbound process, you reach out to 100 people and you're lucky if you have two.
1: Yep, think, exactly. Right?
0: Yep. So, 40 seems so good. And, and it's amazing. It's a big lesson of life is every, we human beings work with reference points with mm-hmm. relative. So 40 is great because the alternative is 2%. Exactly. But And that's, therefore, you don't touch it. So we decided to engineer a solution for this problem. It was actually technically challenging to integrate with that form. And, but what we do is that when the form is submitted, in real time, we take the data, we qualify the prospect, make sure it's a qualified prospect. We find the rep we should be in. Handling that prospect, we dial the rep, we dial the prospect they in contact, or we retrieve the calendar, we bring it to booking and they can book. We launched it we did a Navy test with a company a prospect. They found that we doubled the conversion rates. Wow So typically they go from 40 to 80, mm-hmm. and they got us in business. So, from there, then we just had to educate the market that the old way of doing things is nonsensical, and that you go there so that was a second <laughs> attempt to to take off Do you feel the startups are like airplanes you know eventually you feel you feel you're getting some lift and then boom you take off This this not take off. We have forty people we bootstrapped actually, so we we went Daniel did annual all these up front. And we keep growing, now we're going to extend to other products. Uh, You know, it's a a different world when you have 40 people and you have resources to do different things. But in the meantime, when we were in the middle, or more recently, in the middle of this growth, I found myself frustrated in a way that I was not as productive as I should be. Mm -hmm. And the symptom was that I captured everything I had to do in a to-do list, and my to-do list was diverging. Mm-hmm. So by that I mean <laughs> I wasn't catching up with it, yeah. you know. Keeps so there's more and more, uh, more uh, light on its own when it, when it increases. And so I figured, okay, there's got to be a way to do that better. And that's the thing. Maybe that's the nature of the people were tempted by entrepreneurship is that whenever they see a problem, they think they should solve it, right? Mm-hmm. They, they don't wish somebody would solve it; they think we should solve it. So that's what happened. I said I'm going to solve that problem. I had a super smart engineer with me was an intern. Mm-hmm. Um, he had done an internship at Facebook AI, and he wasn't joining with us at Tilly Paper. I said, How about we start a company together and we solve that problem? So it's called the company called Gypsy Time. It's a play because my wife Alina is Romanian and teaser that she's a gypsy. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to do a new twist on to do list by focusing it on achieving, so getting things done, not only uh, listing the tasks you have to do, but actually doing the tasks you have to do okay and so we have already uh, we have a live version right now that we released very recently where the first step we do in helping you achieve your work is the ability to close all the tabs and close slack Mm -hmm. uh, automatically so you say i'm going to focus we close all the tabs we don't let you reopen you or we do let you but we say are you sure you want to open a new tab we put you on on pose in slack with, you know block notifications and and you can focus so that's the first step is to help uh, people focus so that has turned out to be working really well for me like I can just close the task and focus and then it reopens my tab and yeah. restart. so that's a Love great it. yeah it's a great, great thing and we have other uh, ideas on what other problems people why people don't get to their tasks yeah you know, how we could help them get to their tasks so we're experimenting but it's a very interesting step because I would say that plane hasn't taken off yet right we're still on the tarmac and uh and we it's getting there uh, yeah, well, we have our seatbelt on, <laughs> meaning we're ready. Might, yeah, might have mechanical issues yet still, right? <laughs> you so know. Far, we're listening to the noise, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it seems okay. We, we're we not getting signals from traffic control yet. Yeah. They're, they're, not, they're not giving a clear signal that uh, we, we're ready for the pathway. So it's a very interesting situation because it, it reminds me, uh, you know, of the the struggle that it can be basically to establish product market fit. Mm-hmm. With Healy Piper, the first one, when, we, when it first started, and it did this automatic capture. Um, it was a hypothesis that, that would be, but I had the problem and that other people mm-hmm. would find it helpful. And it turned out to be correct. Like yeah. It's just a smaller way to do it. The second one, when we, that formed very clearly confirmed, right? We, the, you had the measure, which is conversion rate, and you double the conversion rate. Mm-hmm. So we can go to market and say, "Listen, are you interested in getting twice as much pipeline from the same dollar spent on marketing?" The answer is likely to be yes. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> and you get sale though. there. You yeah. yeah. Whereas with Gypsy, time I uh, say, "Hey, we're going to help you do your task." Uh, is that helpful? That's much more subjective. Yeah. Right. It's like uh, yes, it's helped me to block my uh, to close my tabs. No, it doesn't help me so much. I like it. I don't like it. So it's a very interesting project from that respect because it's very much user experience driven so we're trying to find little details that make it a better alternative to the currency's alternatives yeah. and that's a key thing we have a segment of people where the busy people they have a goal which is to get things done and we're trying to give them a better alternative but it's a very subtle thing because everybody is at their own evaluation of what's a good alternative if it's again the inbound in mind say look it converts twice as much it's not your own evaluation. It's what it is but if it's how you productive you are at the end of the day, then there's a lot of subjectivity in how, how mm-hmm. you've done it. So we're in the middle of that, and it's a fascinating project. I think, uh, you know, it's... Uh, Mark Andreessen from Andreessen already said, you know, the, there's only one problem with startups, is product-market fit, right? Mm-hmm. If you mm-hmm. have it... Uh, and so that's, we're in the middle of that, that product-market fit. I can see often people think, what does it take to be entrepreneur, an entrepreneur? And there's no question that people like me... Uh, a lot of people like me are more um, independent. They want to be independent, so I'll drive mm-hmm. them to, to- To make their own path. Yeah, that's right, to endorse that idea. But that doesn't make us successful, right? Yeah. So do, you, do, you want to do your own thing, that, that's not- uh, It's like saying, uh, I want to be Mozart, right? I, I love music, I want to be Mozart. does well, it get you to try the piano, but not to be Mozart, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and entrepreneurship, the key is to be able to do product market fit. And so the attraction to be on your own is great, but then you have to have the, that talent or that skills to the product market fit. And so that's the number one thing. Often, uh, you know, when I hear people say, I really want to start my own company, I really want to start my own company. I say, well, there, there is a core skill and talent, which is to be able to establish, find something that does product market fit. And unfortunately, you won't know if you have it until you try. So, yeah. so yeah, it's absolutely true.
1: And that's actually funny that you mentioned that because I was actually going to ask you, what what is one of the common issues that you see other entrepreneurs making? And that makes perfect sense. You know, they don't get a market fit there.
0: Yeah, Um, so you you hear people, uh, it happens very often. They say, hey, I'm an entrepreneur. I'd like uh, your advice. And I try to take these calls and, you know, and help. And they come up and say, well, this idea is that like I did the other day, I say, oh, to work remotely, I'm going to do a device that people have a more instant uh, connection. And you think, what evidence do you have that the current solution is problematic, mm-hmm. right? And what evidence do you have that this is a better solution? And what problem your solution is bringing? And how do they compare that? But typically, people who start companies don't do that. They just think, oh, I think we should do this solution to get instant uh, view over the other. Okay? It would be so cool. Imagine you press a button, you see the other. That doesn't. Uh, that's not how it works, right? It's not uh, what's cool. Uh, you have to think through what is the goal that they, uh, you're trying to serve and what are the alter- current alternatives and what are the problems with the current alternatives and how is your solution solving these problems and not creating new problems. And that whole process is actually, you think that everybody can do it. It's a like simple, you just uh, you have to think, uh, am I doing something better? But it doesn't work that way. Some people will get it. If you take Bezos, the guy picks a space, he just finds the problem is that space and the solution for that space, right? Mm-hmm. So is he, is he, is he, is the, the reason why he's the richest man in the world is that he, he has this talent of product-market fit, uh, in my opinion, even more than Steve Jobs because Steve Jobs invented beautiful devices, but uh, he didn't solve as many problems as uh, Bezos is solving. Yeah, yeah, no, he's he's uh,
1: he's a machine for sure. Yeah. So, so it sounds like a lot of your success has been focused on the people that you had around you, you've mentioned basically in each one of your stories how you had, you know, you had this great developer that you uh, latched onto, and and actually another developer that you had as an intern. Do you have any quick techniques that you might be able to share for attracting that talent? Is that is that kind of what you were doing? Did you were you actually the ones, or were you actually involved in in selecting who was going to work on your projects? And then once they were there, you know, how did you say? Yeah, this guy's got it.
0: This is great. With so yes, company. I was the one I was involved to get somebody in the project. And every time it was different. It's too what you pointed out. My second company, I didn't mention it, but I had another intern who became my CTO because he was so talented, and he was he was the core core partner. So you're you're right. Every time there's, there was a, a co-founder with a particular talent. So it, was, the, was that
1: just it, a spark, maybe, that, that you had with well, them? Well, you,
0: you, you could think that it's something needed. Like when you start something, uh, there's a lot of data showing that starting a, a company on your own is very hard. And, and you, you, the odds of success are much higher if you're two or three. And then above three, the other way around is starting to mm-hmm. get So having somebody else who would think. And, but to your question, is, is, uh, is there a technique to identify the other person and another technique to keep them on board? Unfortunately, I don't think there is a technique. I think I've, I've observed in, in my career that uh, some people are better than others at assessing people. Mm-hmm. For me, there's no question. For example, Steve Jobs—he he could assess people very. He, he was surrounded very strong people because he could assess who was strong, who was not. Mm-hmm. And I found uh, the opposite. I found m- many times uh, people who have climbed the ladder in the corporate world have not needed that talent to succeed. So you can be senior vice president at IBM. And never uh, proven that you're good at picking the right people, at assessing yeah. people, because you can climb that as, as a result, those who will try to become entrepreneurs or, or just become uh, one of the key executives in startups, they fail because the, in a startup is completely critical. You cannot mm-hmm. carry an army of uh, of people uh, to help you to do. And I have to conclude that it's a talent that some people have and some people don't have. Mm-hmm. And yes, you can. And this one is very hard. I don't know how to improve it. I mean, uh, how to uh, assess people. I'm a big believer. I, I read the book called by, by Carol Dweck. I think it's called The Growth Mindset. That's right, The Growth okay. Mindset. Yep, yep. The whole idea that uh, we shouldn't have this idea of talent. Everybody can learn everything. You can help. And I'm a big believer in the fact that you can um, help people grow. Absolutely. But I'm also a big believer in talent. I mm-hmm. mean, I do think that uh, Roger Federer uh, is at a level it'd be hard for me to achieve, even if I go back to. <laughs> 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 He's got something that I don't have, that dates back from uh, his birth, and uh, for that piece i think it's the same thing some people are much better than others at assessing talent my track record shows that i'm fortunate to be on the better side that i've been able to pick the the right people and um, but it's interesting because at uh, td piper when i tried to hire in marketing for example i had less experience in uh, b2b marketing i just never had done it before so in spite of my self-professed talent i struggled to find the right people Mm -hmm. me several trials but at least i knew when I failed, the new, so you, you I didn't have the illusion that they're the right person. I, I put the person on a job and I can assess that he, he's not, uh, he or she is not uh, doing the right thing. So it's, it's, it's difficult, but I do think it's a talent. So that's the first part to your question. The second part is how do you get them interested or excited? And I think there are two things. So if the project itself is exciting, I think most people uh, and, you know uh, find it that the number one reason why they would do something. If you, if you if you come on board with me and I'm tell you we're going to reinvent the to-do list and do something so much better and you start working on it it's likely that you get excited and look for look for it so the if you have a good project then it's likely that the people will come uh, on board and then there's this initial personal twist right that you people enjoy working with you and mm-hmm. uh, so that I pay a lot of attention to this something that helps me that uh, I, lo- I love people and i love uh, developing people so i think people sense it right? mm-hmm. i remember i have a friend who started a company and he said you know the business is booming it's great i'm happy there's only one thing that i don't like is i have to deal with all these employees oh, i wow. hate it right yeah. and he says i get in the elevator in the morning and boom there are a bunch of them and thinking what am i going to tell them so yeah. they are we're not all the same there are some people who, who dread these relationships and obviously, it makes it harder uh, for them to attract uh, and keep talent. Me, I'm the opposite. I mean, people, if I meet people in the elevator, I would actually press the Engage, button to, yeah. to the top floor to have yeah. more time <laughs> in the elevator. So um, I think people see people that. But for sure, uh, as soon as you start having I mean, people, you want to, whether you enjoy it or not, you have to have a goal of developing your people. Yeah. yeah. And because they'll, they'll feel it. You have to be I'm I mean, here to help them grow professionally. That's kind of our contract. You know, they come and and give the energy to the company and the contract is that they progress, they improve, because that's the number one. The two things that matter in the research on job motivation is autonomy, so not being micromanaged, and and progress the ability to the progress so you you have to provide these two things and whether you like people or not you it has to be part of the thing so that's a long answer to your question on how to find the right people and then motivate them to continue
1: I love it. I love it. Yeah, this this has been fantastic, Nicholas. Uh, if people want to get on, in touch with you or learn more about your products, what would you say is the best way? Well, I do
0: want a lot of people to come try Gypsy Time and give us feedback, right? Because uh, this is a uh, we we entrepreneurs should have solidarity in helping each other, mm-hmm. I uh, So right now we're in this product market fit research stage, and it's very helpful for us to have people try your product and say we like it. So the the app is called Gypsy Time. Gypsy is a tricky word because there are many spelling with E and I and Y, okay. right? Yeah. So I went to Shakespeare and it's spelled G-I-P-S-Y, G-I-P-S-Y, gypsy, gypsytime.com. It's a f- super three, three-click uh, sign up and, uh, and try your, your activity list uh, and send me my feedback. I'm uh, Nicholas, and N-I-C-O-L-I-S at gypsytime.com. And I really look forward to hearing from a lot of people.
1: Excellent. Excellent. I appreciate it. Thanks, Nicholas. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And remember, pass the secret sauce.